Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series called In the Wilderness, a study in the book of Numbers. We're learning how to live with courage and faithfulness on the journey through the wilderness. Thanks for joining us. Well, hey, everybody. Good evening. When I was a kid, my sister and I would wake up on Christmas morning and we would walk down the stairs and the tree would be lit and it would be such a beautiful moment. And then the next thing we did was count how many presents each of us was getting. And I, I see this with my boys on Christmas morning, or I see it in my boys when they get a soda and they have to split it. Like they line up the glasses and it has to be just even. Or what about uh, slices of ice cream cake? They've got to be the same size. Or screen time, it's got to be equal. I'm sure you can... I was jealous of what my sister might get. But after studying for this message, it wasn't jealousy at all. It was envy. In fact, I was assigned to teach this text, and the working title for it was jealousy. But after studying, it's about envy. And it's important to know the difference because when we understand the difference, it helps us better identify and turn from that sin in our lives. And so just so we're all on the same page, if you're following in your notes tonight, jealousy is when you're afraid of losing something. You're afraid of losing something. It's usually a relationship, whether with a partner or in a business situation, but you're threatened by a third person. You're going to lose something. Jealousy is about being replaced. Envy, if you're following on your notes, is about wanting something that you don't have. It's about lacking something. It's wanting what someone else has. It's making sure things are even like those Christmas presents. We look at the job, the car, the house, the wealth, the family vacation, the body, the athletic ability, the intelligence, the experience or success of another person, and we compare our lives with them, and we want what they have. And like complaining, which we studied last week, we don't take envy as seriously as we should. I know I don't. But Envy is dangerous, and if you're falling on your notes, it's dangerous because envy is a root sin that gives rise to many other sins. The downward spiral of envy is that it starts with a pang, right? We've all experienced this, a pang of I wish. And the I wish isn't necessarily the sin. The sin is when we begin to dwell on that and resentment builds in our lives towards the other person. And left unchecked, envy can dominate our lives. It takes over our thoughts. It poisons our pleasures and steals our joy. Envy can lead to pride and inability to be thankful, dissatisfaction, unhappiness, broken relationships. It sets us up against others, and it sets us against God. Envy is a root sin that leads to many other sins, and it can lead us to make one bad decision after another. The Bible actually captures the significance of envy in a simple phrase. Would you read this with me in the first gray box on your notes or on your screen this evening? It says, envy rots 
the bones. Envy rots the bones. Proverbs 14.30, rotting the bones looks like this. Nothing is good enough. Our job isn't good enough. Our body isn't good enough. Our life isn't good enough. Our friendships aren't good enough. Our marriages aren't good enough. Nothing is good enough. And when we envy, we're always finding fault. We're always critical. We can never just sit down and enjoy the moment, enjoy what's in front of us. There's always something wrong because we're comparing ourselves to others. Therefore, envy literally poisons us psychologically and socially and spiritually, cutting us off from relating rightly with God. Envy rots the bones, and it's more dangerous than we think. We're in a series in the Old Testament book of Numbers called Life in the Wilderness. And if you're following in your notes, we're learning how to live with courage and faithfulness on the journey in the wilderness. The book of Numbers is the continuing story of God's people brought out of slavery in Egypt as they head toward the land they were promised. The journey from the Red Sea from slavery to the promised land should have taken 11 days, but because of the poor decisions and lack of trust in God, their lack of faith, they ended up spending 40 years in the wilderness. We can learn from these stories. We're actually told in 1 Corinthians 10 that these things happened to the Israelites as an example and were written down as warnings for us. Like the Israelites, we live in the land between. We are foreigners on this earth. This is not our home. But while we're here, the decisions we make will impact the trajectory of our lives. And there is a better way to live than wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, suffering from the natural consequences of our bad decisions. And so today, we learn the lesson of the seriousness of envy. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles or your devices. We're in chapter 12 now of Numbers. Numbers is the fourth book in the Old Testament. We're in Numbers chapter 12. 12. And this story takes place approximately one year into the 40 years the Israelites experienced in the wilderness. And to set up our story, I want to introduce you to the three main characters involved. First, the one most of you probably know, if you're following in your notes, it's Moses. He was chosen by God to deliver his people. Chosen by God. He was the mediator between God and people. And the way that worked is if the people had a problem, they went to Moses and Moses went to God. He was a mediator. He was the one God spoke to personally. There was never any doubt who God's chosen and effective leader was. But even this leader needed help and God provided Moses' brother Aaron as that helper. And that's the second character, Aaron. If you're following in your notes, he's the first high priest of Israel. So he's responsible for the sacrifices and all the worship at the tabernacle. As I studied, I just thought, you know, Aaron was Moses' older brother. And in Hebrew tradition, the firstborn son was given leadership within the family. And I wonder if Aaron ever struggled with that. The third character is their sister Miriam. 
She's the oldest sibling in the family, and she had an important role to play in God's story. Early in Moses' life, she saved her brother, if you remember that. She saw him in a basket in the Nile River, and her quick thinking allowed Moses to be raised by his mom rather than an Egyptian. And on the journey out of slavery, we're told in Exodus 15 that Miriam, if you're following in your notes, was a prophetess who spoke on behalf of God. She led the entire nation of Israel in song, celebrating that God had freed his people from slavery. Lest we think that Aaron or Miriam weren't important, the prophet Micah in chapter 6-4 says, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. That's a pretty short list of leaders. And if you're following in your notes, they all had important roles to play. They all had important roles to play. And so those are the characters, and now we pick up in Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. Would you read this with me on your notes or on your screen? It says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. So we start, we see Miriam and Aaron begin to talk against Moses. Notice they didn't talk to Moses and they didn't even talk to God. They began talking to others about Moses. And it's never a good sign if we find ourselves doing that. They complained to anyone who would listen about Moses' unfitness to be the sole leader of the people. And Miriam's name is listed first. The verb is in the feminine, so it, she is the instigator here. And we'll see this in the consequences listed a little bit later. But if you look at verse 1, the first thing it says is that Miriam and Aaron were talking to others about Moses' wife and the fact that she was a Cushite and not an Israelite. They complain about his Cushite wife, which Cushite is an Ethiopian. So they're complaining about his Ethiopian wife before they broach the real issue, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. One reason we know this isn't the real issue is because God doesn't address it specifically in his response to them, even though he takes it seriously. Remember, envy gives way to other sins, and because of that, the main thing doesn't always stay the main thing, right? We start throwing darts, and we hope they land. The example here, and as we're going to see in a minute, the real issue is over envy of Moses' leadership, but they throw the dart of criticism at his marriage. And what I've noticed is that when I'm envious, I start to find fault with everything in the other person. And I think this is why they brought up Moses' marriage first. The best explanation for what Miriam and Aaron were going after here is they were Israelites, God's chosen people, and Moses' wife was of a different, different ethnic background. And the suggestion here is they looked down on her for having darker skin. And again, God doesn't directly address this, but I find it interesting that the Lord's punishment to Miriam is to allow her to experience a condition that affects her own skin that we'll see later in verse 10. And after wishing to socially exclude Moses' wife, 
Miriam herself is physically excluded from the Israelite camp for seven days, as we'll see in verses 14 and 15. So we're not going to spend a, a long time on this today because this is not the main point of the passage. And more than anything, I want to be faithful to the text and not impose a message on Scripture. But in this passage, there is racism happening. And in this cultural moment that we find ourselves in, racism is being brought out into the light. And when we have the opportunity to speak into this subject, we want to do that. And the reason racism is so bad, as in this story, it is always about status and control and power. And it is always an insult to God who created all people in his image. One author I read this week said, putting someone down for his or her skin color has the goal of boosting oneself and implies that God makes inferior products in his image. Friends, we have never met anyone not created in the image of God. And how we view, how we talk about, and how we relate to others is of high, high importance to God. So now we get to the real issue in verse 2. If you look back in that box, it says, Miriam and Aaron say, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Moses had a unique place of leadership in God's people, and Miriam and Aaron, although they had important roles to play, they were one of the three main leaders. They felt like they should share that place of unique leadership. Remember, envy is wanting something you don't have, what someone else has. It's the feeling like what you have is not enough and that you deserve more. And we see Miriam and Aaron want what they don't have. They are envious of Moses and notice this envy shows up in comparison. And that's because if you're following on your notes, envy thrives on comparison. It thrives on it. And I want to suggest to you tonight, there are three types of comparison that can bring about envy. The first type, if you're following in your notes, material comparison. Material. You're envious of others' possessions. The new car. The nice house. The swimming pool. I wish I had those things. Number two, relational comparison. Relational and as the name suggests, we're envious of others' relationships, right? We see the picture of the family that has it all together, the family with the perfect Christmas card, your friend who just got engaged, the happy marriage, the baby announcement. You don't get invited to the outing with your group of friends. Relational comparison. And three, circumstantial comparison circumstantial. You wish you had someone else's situation in life. I wish I had that job that gave me that significance or that freedom. I wish I would have got that promotion or made as much money as someone else. I wish I had a body like so-and-so. I wish my health was as good as theirs. I wish I could have gone to that college or my kids go to that school circumstantial comparison. And that's what we see in our story today with Miriam and Aaron. They give in to circumstantial comparison. They had an important role to play, 
but it wasn't good enough for them. They wanted what Moses had. And as we learn from this situation, friends, I so want us to understand that what God calls each of us to do is a holy matter. What God has called each of us to do is equally God-glorifying, holy, and sacred. Whether that calling refers to the preaching of his word or the practice of medicine, being a missionary, a lawyer, a stay-at-home mom, or a teacher, a bus driver, a musician, a secretary, a dentist, a bank teller, a businessman, a waitress, a chef, hairstylist, We can trust God and be grateful for what he has called us to do. And it helps to not look at others' situation in life, but look at our own situation as a holy calling and a gift from God. That helps us fight comparison. And while circumstantial comparison leads the way in our story, all three types of comparison, I want to suggest this, are a bigger problem for our generation than any before us. And there are two words that explain why this is true. Social media. And here's why. When we look at other people's lives on social media, we are seeing a filtered image. Pastor Craig Grishel in Oklahoma City says, we're comparing our behind-the-scenes footage with other people's highlight reels. So we feel like losers because we see the best of their best and we know the worst of our worst. And we want their best. We envy these not real filtered lives. Grishel gives a playful example that makes the point. He said, you feel great about the flowers and home-cooked dinner that your husband gave you on your birthday until you go online and see that your girlfriend's husband bought her a pony and took her backpacking through Europe with the original cast of Hamilton. J.D. Greer, a pastor in North Carolina, tells the story of two moms who confessed to each other in a small group how they hated each other and envied each other on social media. One was a working mom, and she said, I hated you because you're the perfect Pinterest stay-at-home mom who does crafts and structured time with her kids, and it made me feel so guilty. And the stay-at-home mom said, I hated you and envied you. Because you have a life, and you're out in public, and you're doing things. And I haven't had my hair in anything but a ponytail or had an adult conversation since 2015. Here we have two people longing for what the other person has based on a filtered presentation on social media. And their envy was a root sin that led to the dark cycle we talked about earlier. Resentment, hatred, unhappiness, dissatisfaction. Researchers, parents and kids, would you lean in and listen to this right now? Researchers have demonstrated that the more we compare ourselves to others on social media, the less satisfied we become. I I read a study done at two universities where the students spend half an hour, 30 minutes on Facebook looking at random people they do not know in the same stage of life as them, and then they surveyed their feelings after 30 minutes. 
they found that one-third of the students felt, and this is the language they used, significantly depressed. And many more feeling more down than usual after 30 minutes of looking at people they've never met before and will never meet again on social media. There may be someone here tonight or you are watching and you need to get off social media for a while. It is breeding envy and it is poisoning your joy and it is rotting your bones. This is what God wants you to hear and apply tonight. If that's you, I want to encourage you to deactivate tonight and get away from that for a while. Don't give envy a foothold, and that's a major way to give it a foothold. Comparison is what envy thrives on. And as we move to verse 4, we see God's response. You can follow along in your Bibles. It says, at once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. You, you see that word, right? At once, immediately. If God used middle names, this is where you would find them. Moses Adam, Aaron Abraham, Miriam Eve, get out here now. We need to talk. I just made those up. Don't go looking for those tonight. You're not going to find those middle names anywhere. But this is where God would have used middle names. And here is maybe the biggest lesson that I learned this week while studying. God responds immediately because envy isn't really about me and the person I'm envious of. Envy is about me being angry at God. I may not want to admit that, but when I am envious of those who are successful or admired or mightily used or elevated or have a nicer home or a newer car or a happier family or they're more popular, I'm not mad at that person. I'm angry at God. And if you're following in your notes, when we envy, our problem is with God. And that's why it's so serious. Like Miriam and Aaron, when we're envious, what we say is, God, what you have chosen for me is not good enough. It's not good enough. And that's why God takes envy so seriously. Continuing in verse 5, you can follow along in your Bibles. I'm going to read through verse 8. The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and he summoned Aaron and Miriam. And when the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And so without diminishing the importance of Miriam and Aaron, God affirms Moses as the leader. He reminds them that Moses is not just a prophet, but the one God personally talks to and reveals himself to. And verse 9 says, The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. And when he left, Miriam's skin was as white as snow. She had a defiling skin disease that the Israelites considered impure and required separation 
from everyone else. It was a consequence that others would have seen and learned from. And what this reveals to us, if you're following in your notes, is that God takes envy seriously and there are consequences. We've talked about these mental consequences, anger, irritability, depression, physical changes in our body from being stressed out or overwhelmed. And the biggest consequence is spiritual. We set ourselves against other people and we set ourselves against God. And then notice Aaron said to Moses in verse 11, Please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. And God healed Miriam. Moses, the, the one they rejected as leader, is the one they turned to for healing. And God, in his grace, healed Miriam. But there was still a consequence. And we read about that in verse 14 and 15. She was healed, but the Lord replied to Moses, If the father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back in. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. The most disgraceful thing one could do in the Middle East was to spit in another's face. It was a complete disgrace. And what God is saying here is that Miriam's envy has disgraced him. Remember, her problem wasn't with Moses. Envy was the manifestation of her problem with God. And it disgraced God that she wasn't content with the role God gave her. Don't miss this. Like her healing, even in this consequence, there's grace. The good news is that when we mess up, even when we give in to the sin of envy, there is grace if we turn to Jesus and confess. And we see that after seven days, Miriam was brought back into the community. These stories are, are given to us as a warning that we can learn from. And so the question hanging out there, right? I want to close by talking briefly about how we can fight envy. If we're all going to deal with it, if we're all going to have those I wish pangs come over us, how do we fight that? And so whether you are dealing with the beginning pangs of envy or whether you are struggling with deep-rooted envy, how do we live with courage and faithfulness in the wilderness. If you remember last week, Steve said the antidote to complaining was contentment. This week, I want to share with you, if you're following on your notes, the antidote to envy is gratitude. It's gratitude. Envy and gratitude cannot coexist at the same time. They can't coexist. Try it. Try it. I did that this last week. I experienced the pangs of envy about another person's trip they were taking, and I found myself envious, and I recognized it, and I did two things that I want to share with you this evening. The first thing, if you're following in your notes, thank God who has given us what we don't deserve. We are grateful to God who has given us what we don't deserve. Since envy is a problem primarily between me and God, the first thing we do is to fight envy by thanking God for what he's given us. 
And we do this by remembering who God is and what he's done for us, by remembering that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for our sins, and that we didn't do anything to deserve that free gift. And this creates a humility and a gratitude. And likewise, in addition, anything we have from God, whether it is material, relational, or a situation in life, it is a gift from God. We are not entitled to anything, so we begin fighting envy with gratitude to God for giving us what we don't deserve. And then after thanking God, if you're following in your notes, thank God and pray for the person you envy. This was only the Holy Spirit's work in my life. It wasn't planned. I thought I would just thank God. And then God, in a time of prayer, led me into a time when I thanked him for the person I was envious of. And that's when the envy lifted. I thank God for all the different ways I could think of that that person had blessed my life and every good characteristic I could think of about them. Listen, if envy thrives on comparison, it wilts with gratitude. We fight envy by thanking God for what we don't deserve and then thanking God and praying for the person we envy. And so this week, when envy rears its head, because it will, when you notice envy, practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. And I want to say one more thing as we close tonight. If you are not a follower of Jesus, I am so glad you're here, or I'm so glad that you're watching online with us. I want you to know tonight, there is a better way. You don't have to live with envy coursing through your veins like a poison that causes dissatisfaction, unhappiness, or an inability to be thankful. You don't have to suffer with broken relationships because of envy. Jesus offers a better way of life, a way of life that can be marked with gratefulness, thankfulness, joy, and healthy relationships. If you are not a follower of Jesus tonight, this can be the night where your life changes forever. Your sins can be forgiven and you can be made right with God. Tonight, you can experience the hope Jesus offers. And if you want to follow Jesus tonight, you can experience the hope of eternal life that begins now. You can fight envy, but you can only do it with the help of Jesus. And so I want to invite you to follow Jesus tonight. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you teach us through your word. Thank you that you give us stories like this that are written down for us to learn from. God, I pray that when those pangs of envy hit this week, that we will turn to you in gratitude and be thankful for all that you've given us, none of which we deserve, and that we could turn outward and look to the person we are envious of and thank you for them. They are made in your image. God, remind us to practice gratitude in that. And God, I am praying tonight
that if anyone is here and not a follower of Jesus, that tonight would be the night they would make the decision to follow you. God, if they are struggling and this is not how they thought life would be, God, you offer a better way. And so I pray, I pray for that person that they would give themselves to you and say, I'm done trying this on my own. I wanna turn to you, Jesus. So God, we're grateful for the opportunity to gather, to sing, to share your word, to pray, to enjoy each other's company. God, we close with gratitude. We are thankful. We are thankful for who you are and what you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name. We pray everybody agreed and said, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.